I hope you have your Bible, and would you take it and turn me, turn, not turn me, turn with me, turn with me to Matthew chapter 2. All right, Matthew chapter 2, into the Christmas story. Today, as we are looking at the Bethlehem candle, I appreciate the song the choir sang today, uh, how Christ has set us free from fear and death. We don't have to be afraid as we walk through a dark world, and we're going to talk about that today in this scripture, so... Uh, it's really important that we hear the word in song as well as read the word from the pages, right? But most of all, we need to hear the living word, Jesus Christ speaking into our hearts. So let's ask him to do that right now. Father, as we turn in your written word, we pray we could hear today from you the living word, that you would speak into our heart, and God, you would, through your spirit, help us to hear truth that can set us free to live life the way you intended us to live, Help us to be men and women and boys and girls who are faithfully committed to following Christ in all we do. It's in His name we ask and pray. Amen. <clears throat> Hope you're there in Matthew 2. We're going to read in a moment verses 1 through 12, so uh, you can go ahead and get that ready. But I want to just go back just for a moment to last week, of last Sunday, uh, because la- this Sunday's sermon kind of builds off of what we talked about a little bit last week. Last week, we looked at Christmas from the vantage point of the past. If you were here and you remember, we... Uh, We're in the book of Jeremiah, and we heard from uh, the voice of one of God's great prophets in Jeremiah. He wept over the condition of the nation of Israel in his day, yet he could see through the eyes of faith that God had a great hope on the history, uh, on the horizon of history. And he, he believed that. He knew that to be true. Jeremiah was living among a people who were fraught with all sorts of disaster, If you remember that disaster in their homeland, death among their loved ones, destruction of their livelihoods, we talked about some of that, looked at some of that last week. Yet, as he was in the middle of all that, he spoke of a coming day when God would do a new thing. And so when we get to the birth of Jesus, what we're hearing and seeing and reading is what Jeremiah had told about. God would do a new thing in the world. He would bring about a hope through the womb of a young virgin, something that just made no sense in the world he lived in, but came to mean everything when Jesus Christ came into this world through uh, that manger. As he was born, as Mary gave birth to him there in Bethlehem, the world changed. Literally, everything changed because now the Mighty One, the God of all eternity, the one who could rescue not only Israel but the world from sin and death, that promised king who had a government that would be without end. From eternity past, this mighty one would come into the world. And we saw that happen at Bethlehem. Some 2,000 years ago in our own history, as we look back, we're looking back on the day when the world changed, when everything changed about the world in which we live. Time changed. It was no longer uh, marking time in reverse. It was time going forward. We, we do that now as we look at it. We talk about B.C. and A.D. Well, what was it that split time? It was the birth of Jesus Christ. His life is coming to be in this world. So one would think that the kind of prophecy that Jeremiah shared, even in the midst of all the darkness he was in, you would think that it would give a lot of hope and create a lot of hope for the future. And help people to really develop a deeper faith in God. But here's the thing. Satan has a way of undermining even those of us with the best of intentions. He works so hard behind the scenes to destroy what God's wanting to do in us. So even on our best days, 
There are those times when we're prone in our fallen minds and in our sin-sick hearts to become deluded with fear. Now, now, be honest. Do you have any things that sometimes you fear in life? Let me say it this way. Do you ever have anxieties that grip you? That really, when you start to think about them, they're kind of irrational fears. They're things that you really don't even need to be fretting about or worrying about or, 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 or being fearful of. I, I'll be honest, I have them. I hope, I hope I'm not the only one. <laughs> uh, but but I, I, think, I think we all at points struggle with those moments. And what we're gripped with is what Satan wants to, uh, he wants to destroy us. But what we're learning is that God wants to do something greater, even in those difficult moments. And so I love it when I read in the scriptures that phrase, but God. Y'all ever read that? A little phrase. It says, you know, Satan was doing all this and such and such, and everything was dark and mean and evil and hard, but God. <laughs> and when you read in Galatians chapter 4, you find one of those moments. But God, at just the right time, sent Jesus through the Virgin Mary. You read about that in Galatians chapter 4. So this is one of those moments today as we think about the Bethlehem candle. When Christ came to Bethlehem, it was a but God moment. He had a different plan for, uh, to counter Satan's attacks. God wants to turn Satan's attacks into opportunities to display his true power. And God wants to take the devil's best laid plans and turn them inside out until they point us to Jesus until they point us to our Creator. Now, the great German reformer, Martin Luther, had a really interesting quote, and I'm going to put it on the screen so you can, you can read it with me. But he said this, God and the devil take opposite tactics in regard to fear. The Lord first allows us to become afraid that He might relieve our fears and comfort us. The devil, on the other hand, first makes us feel secure in our pride and sins that we might later be overwhelmed with fear and despair. You see, you see that? He's pointing out, Luther's pointing out that God wants to help us overcome fear as we learn to trust in Him by faith. He wants us to overcome the inherent fears in our world with faith in Him. But the devil wants us to be overcome and be fearful and live in and wallow in a faulty perspective that leads us to spiritual paralysis. In other words, he just wants us to get us so weak where we can't do anything, where we can't serve the Lord, and we can't see any hope for the future. That's what the devil wants to do, but God wants to do the opposite. He wants to build into us a faith that will lead us into a relationship that lasts forever. So the fact is... Our perspective then of Christmas is important. Your perspective of what happened at Christmas when the world changed, <laughs> that's important. You need to know that. Your perception of what God did at Bethlehem is important. Will you determine to walk by faith or wallow in fear? Now that's where we have to land today. If you believe that Jesus is the Christ who came to save us, to be Lord and Savior, then you'll strive to live by faith in Him. But if you believe that Christmas is simply greenery, gifts, and gumdrops, well, I got news for you. You're in trouble when you meet things like death, mortality, and evil acts of men. When you encounter those things, it will lead you to hopelessness and fear of the future. But, but we don't want to be that way today. So what I want us to do is take a few minutes in this story that's probably familiar to us. It's the story of what we'd say is the wise men or the magi. And I want us to kind of walk through a familiar story, but think about it in terms of two contrasting views today. I want you to see there really were two contrasting views, a life of fear and a life of faith. 
And, and in, in those two views, we get a picture of the difference that Christ makes when we understand the true meaning of what He did at Christmas in His coming to this earth. So let's look at uh, Matthew chapter 2. Let's start in verse 1. And I'm just going to read through these 12 verses. I want you to follow along with me as I do. And then I'm going to point out a few things after we finish reading this. Just point out a few things leading to these two perspectives, one on faith and one on fear. Notice this in verse 1. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men, again the word here is magi, all right, from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who was born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not uh, the least among the rulers of Judah? For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star which they'd seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they'd come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented to him gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Now this morning, Matthew gives us an important view of Christmas. Matthew's goal in his gospel was to display that Jesus is the king. There's a popular artist today in pop music who finally got it right, folks. Jesus is king. He is. And uh, this story helps us to understand why. As the Magi help us figure out in the story, he's worthy to put our worship in. He's worthy to be worshipped. He's worthy to have our faith and our joy. And our, everything about us that's good and positive needs to come from Christ. And they're pointing us toward that fact. Herod was sinking in fear. Uh, you, you can go back and see this in verse 3. He was sinking in fear. He was letting the world dictate his path rather than believing and trusting in God's plan for a Messiah. And so uh, he was sinking in sin, if you want to say it that way. But the Magi saw something different. When, when Herod and the Magi stood out there on the porch of that palace, I can just picture it in my mind. I can see this, this king and these wise men, these Magi, standing there together. And as they looked out, on the land, looked south out of Jerusalem toward Bethlehem, which was simply two miles away. In that moment when he was secretly talking to them, his whole perspective was one of fear. He was afraid of a competitor. He was afraid that there'd be another who would rise as king. But those magi, those wise men, they were operating in faith. They saw a star. They saw evidence from heaven. They saw something God had sent for them to guide them to the true king of kings. And so two different contrasting perspectives. So let's just take a few minutes and the rest of our time this morning just to talk about these two perspectives of faith and fear. 
Now, as I said, the, wise, the Magi were wise men who left the palace with faith. They left the palace with faith. But here's the thing. A wise man is not a person who's, who studies the stars and recites scientific laws and solves mathematical equations. Now, these men could do all those things. As a matter of fact, that's, that's what Magi were. Magi were these really intelligent men who had come from the Far East, from places like Persia. Uh, today, it would be like toward modern-day Iran, out that way. Uh, but, but they had followed something very important. You know what they'd followed? Ultimately, these men were, were wise because they had faith in their Creator. Uh, makes me think of Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived. He summed it up this way. Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come and the years draw near as you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Now, what's Solomon saying? He's saying this, the wisest of people was, was saying to us that we need to take advantage of the innocence of our youth, of a soft heart and a moldable mind. We don't need to wait until we go through great years of wasted heartache and, and, and pride and experiencing great grief and suffering before we finally turn to the Lord. We need to start from a young age trusting in our Creator in looking to Him for guidance and leadership. Listen, don't wait to go through a bunch of experience, a bunch of heartache and problems in life before you finally wake up one day and go, I think I need to know God. That's what Solomon's saying. And I think these wise men were wise, not just because they could see the constellations and know math. I think they were wise really because they knew who the Creator was and they knew the sign He'd put in the sky and they trusted and believed in Him. They were looking for the Lord. They wanted to know Him. And they said, well, where, how did they know to do this? How in the world did they even know where to look? Well, the Bible. They, they knew that wise people begin by faith, and faith begins in an experience with God's Word. Faith begins with an experience in God's Word. Now, Numbers chapter 24 in verse 17. See, these wise men came from a place called Persia. Uh, it was also known before that, uh, before the Persians conquered Babylon, uh, there were two great nations, the Babylonians and the Persians. The Persians conquered the Babylonians. And Daniel, y'all remember old Daniel. Daniel was in the Old Testament. He was one of God's people who'd been hauled into captivity. When he was in captivity, he became the leader, listen to this, the leader of the wise men and the magi and the satraps of all of Babylon and Persia. He became the leader, the top dog. Now, God put his man in power, in place, in captivity, in that way, hundreds of years before. Why? So that he could teach them what to look for one day. And, and, and they had this word, Numbers, chapter 24, verse 17, Balaam's prophecy. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob. A scepter shall rise out of Israel. And batter the brow of Moab and destroy all the sons of Tumult. What's this about? He's telling them, look for the star that will rise in the east, that will rise from Jacob. Look for there a king, the scepter, the king's scepter will rise with it. And he will be one who will destroy the enemy and put down the tumult, the chaos. So this prophecy was guiding these men to be prepared for the right time and the right season and the right... So Daniel had prepared the way hundreds of years before. And the Scriptures told of this time. Uh, look at Isaiah chapter 60, verse 3. The Gentiles shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. Who are the kings that were coming to the brightness of his rising? The wise men. 
These, these wise kings from the east saw the star rising, the brightness and the glory of God, leading them to the place where they would meet the master. Oh, see, the scriptures were there. Daniel had prepared them. They knew what to look for. So when, when you hear the word of God, you're responsible for your response to the truth. Now listen to that. When you hear the word of God, you are responsible from that point on to what you're going to do with the truth. And a wise person, a wise person is a person who will hear the word and heed the word. Listen, when you hear the word, you need to heed the word. What does that mean? What does heed mean? Heed means do it. means do it. When you know what to do, when God tells you what to do, then you do it. Because if you say, I don't want to do that right now, or I'm not going to do that right now, if you put off what God tells you to do in the moment, what's going to happen? Satan can swoop in and steal the seed before it finds root. And he'll cause you to, to, to waffle in your faith. And he'll cause you to, to shrink back when you need to go. I love what the psalmist says, Psalm 119, 105. Thy word, your word, is a lamp to my feet. It is a light unto my path. When I'm in the dark days and I'm on difficult paths, I need his word to be my guiding light. And I need to do what the Word tells me to do. So faith begins an experience with God's Word, but also we need to know this. Faith is backed by evidence in God's works. Now, now look at this. Look, look at what had happened. Verse 2, uh, they, they knew when they came what they were looking for. They were looking for this uh, king of the Jews, and they said, we have seen his star in the east. Remember, they, they knew the prophecy. They knew the Word of God. And they were waiting on the works of God. They wanted to see the star that was the fulfillment of the Word of God, the prophecy. And so when they saw the star, they knew, they knew, they knew the king was near. The wise men saw the star, and it became for them the substance of what they had hoped for in the coming of a king. When they saw the star, that star was evidence of things that had not been seen up until that point. Though they had heard about the king, they'd never seen the king yet. But the star signaled that the arrival of the king was imminent. Now listen to this. What does the Bible say about faith? In, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. It is the evidence of things that are yet not seen. That star, you see, was evidence. It was evidence. It was substance. God gave them in the sky something, some substance that they could look to and know that there was hope that was on the horizon. When they saw the star, it signaled to them evidence that the Christ, the King, was there. Now, y'all, I've never seen Jesus on the cross. I've seen pictures of it. I wasn't there 2,000 years ago. Physically, when Jesus was hung on that tree. Okay? But in my mind's eye, because I've heard the word of God, I know in my spirit it is true. I know that 2,000 years ago, Jesus, this infant, holy and infant lowly, grew and matured and lived a perfect, sinless life. In my mind's eye, in by faith, I know that this is true. I know that Christ died for my sins according to the Scriptures and was buried and rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. I know it's true. You say, well, how do you know it's true? Because He now lives in me. And His Holy Spirit is evidence. 
It is, he is substance. The Holy Spirit is substance and evidence that Christ is alive in me. Now, folks, we need to get that down. Don't miss this. If you come to believe these things to be true the way these wise men saw it, if you'll understand that, it changes your life. And it changes the world. Everything opens up before you. But if you shrink back and say, I don't need it, I don't want it, I don't care. If you do that, there's no hope. There's no hope for you. Without Christ, there's no hope. I'm just telling you, there's no hope for your life without Christ. You've got to believe and in, in trust in the King. So our faith is not a blind faith. It's founded on facts surrounding the life of Christ. Christmas is the beginning of the revealing of the reality of our faith. That's what we're saying. It helps us. So look at this. There's another thing in verse 11. Just jump down to verse 11. Notice something else about these wise men and how they acted in faith. Faith is best expressed in our worship of God. And we see that in verse 11. When these men finally found Jesus, they, their, their response was worship. <laughs> I mean, they, they didn't, you know, you say, well, they, they wanted to play, uh, play tinker toys with him. No, no, they, they, they thought the baby was cute and pretty and fine, but they, they were more interested in who he was going to become. They knew by faith, this is the King of kings. This is the Lord of lords. It's evidenced in the gifts they gave him. Look at the gifts they gave him. They gave him gold. Why? Because a king was worthy of gold. It was a way to pay for and, and build his own kingdom. Uh, they also gave him uh, frankincense. Why? Because that's, that was what the priest used when he offered up prayers to God in heaven. And so they saw that he'd be a king. They saw that he would be our priest before God. They also recognized this about him. They gave him myrrh. What's myrrh? Myrrh was an oil that they would use to embalm and anoint a body. Now, great guns, why would they need that for a baby? Because this baby was going to be the perfect sacrifice for our sins. And so their gifts pointed us to show us who he was going to become. And they knew it. Their faith was in what God had said He would do. And so they worshipped Him. They worshipped Him. I wonder today, do we worship Jesus? Who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to you? Was He just a good prophet we can learn some good stories from? Or is Jesus your sacrifice for sin? Is He your priest between you and God, your mediator between you and God, is Jesus, in fact, God in human flesh who rose from the dead to give you life? Do you believe that? And do you trust that with all your heart? So one last thing we learn from these men, it's in verse 12, and I think this is important too. Because, you know, Satan hates it when we learn stuff like this. He don't want us to believe stuff like this. So Satan's going to try to pull a trick on us. You know, He's going to try to do it. So look what the Lord did. Faith is when we believe the emphatic warnings of God. Now, in verse 12, we read this, how that God spoke to these men. Once they put their faith in Christ, and they'd seen the Christ, listen, He'd saved them, He'd changed them. These men were renewed, redeemed. They had a new mind, a new way to think. And God was speaking into their minds, and He told them, don't go back to Herod. And they said, Yes, sir. We got you. Don't go back to Herod. We're going another way. We're taking the long way home. You know, so they, they went around. They loaded the camels the next day, and they rolled out, son. They had them, they had them in four-wheel drive, and they headed south and went on another way, went, on, went away another way to get home. But these wise men listened to the Lord. That's the thing. They heard the warnings. They heeded the words. And so we have to ask that question of ourselves. Are you listening to the Holy Spirit when He warns you that you're drifting off course, do you listen to Him? 
When the Holy Spirit convicts you of sin, do you argue with Him and grumble and get mad? Or do you humbly say, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, you're right, I know. I need to be close with you. How do we respond when God warns us from deviating from the path that He's laid out for us in life? And so these are, these are all marks of a person who lives by faith, you see. We, we're experiencing the Word of God. We're seeing the evidence of God working in our life. We're expressive in our worship to the Lord. And we're, in, we're emphatically following the Word of God. And so that when He warns us about getting off course, we're willing. We're willing to course correct and say, You know what, God? You're right. I'm wrong. I'm willing to do it your way. Now, that's a person who's living a life of faith. And these men proved it in the way they live. But let's go back for a moment because there's another contrasting view, right? Let's talk about King Herod because King Herod was a worried man. <laughs> he was a worried little man who lived in a palace consumed with fear. And that's, that's where he struggled. So Herod is like the polar opposite of these men of faith. He was controlled by a fear that had, uh, had him prodding along in the wrong direction. Satan was trying to work in such a way as to undermine this guy, and he had been duped by the devil. Let's just say it that way. Herod had been duped by the devil. Whether he knew it or not, he was even acting just like the devil himself. How do we know that? We'll go back to verse 3. When Herod heard the truth, how did he respond? He was troubled. Now, if you're a person who wants to live by faith, you rejoice in the truth. But if you're a person who really doesn't want to know the truth and you really don't want to do it God's way, when you hear the truth, what does it do to you? It troubles you in your spirit. And you get aggravated. You get mad. I don't want to do it that way. I want to do it my way. Well, Herod was troubled and all of Jerusalem with him. The Bible says, what does that mean? He gave them grief. Why? Because he wanted to be in charge. And so here's the thing. Fear comes with defiance to the power of God. When we are defiant to the power of God, God's, God's all-powerful. He is God all by Himself, and He don't need nobody else, right? As the old preacher said. So, so we need to believe that. And, and, and Herod wasn't willing. Herod said, no, I'm going to be in charge. I'm going to be the king. You're not going to put a competitor in here. I'm not going to put up with that. And so he had determined not to do things God's way. And he wouldn't acknowledge God's true power. He wanted to be in control of the nation. He wanted to be in control of his own destiny. Rather than rejoice at the promise of the Messiah's birth, he renounced it. And he renounced any competition without his control. So we have to ask that question. Who's calling the shots? Who's calling the shots in your life and my life? Is it me or is it the Lord? We've got to make that decision. Who's going to have the power over my decisions and what I do in, in life? And, and the Lord needs to be the king, and he needs to be the one who's in charge. And for Herod, it wouldn't be that way. So notice in verses 4 through verse 6, what does he do? He immediately gathers together all the smart folks in the kingdom. Now, these are people that he probably feels like he can manipulate, and that's what he's going to do. He's going to try to manipulate them. So he asks them, he says, where is this baby coming from? Here, you know, here's the second thing we learn right here, that fear will leave you ignorant of God's plans. Did you know that? Now, shouldn't Herod, if he really was a godly man and a good man and a man who knew the Word, he would have hopefully known what the Scripture said. These other folks knew. They said, oh, yeah, we know. It's in Bethlehem. And they quoted the Scripture from Micah. They said, Micah's already told us long ago where the baby would come. He would come to Bethlehem. 
And he said, okay, okay, we're making progress. But here's a man who's ignorant of the plans of God because he denies the power of God. He doesn't want anything to do with God himself, uh, but he wants to manipulate the situation. And so when you're seeking to make decisions on your own, it's easy to get blinded to God's plans and design. When you're trying to do things all on your own, it's real easy to get duped by the devil. Put, he'll put blinders on you, and you won't have a clue what's really going on. You think you do, but he'll be leading you down the primrose path, right? Notice verse 3. Uh, I'm sorry, verses 7 and 8. Because here's the next thing Herod does. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men. Now hold on. Notice that word, secretly. You know, the devil's real good at being deceptive. And he likes to do things in the dark. That's why he deals is in the dark. He don't want to come out in the light. Because in the light, everything kind of becomes known and noticed. So the devil likes to work behind the scenes secretly in the dark and try to keep people in the dark. And that's what Herod's doing. He says, guys, come over here with me. I got a plan. I got a, I got a deal you can't resist. You know, if Somebody says you got a deal, be wary of that. Okay, So uh, he, he was that way. He secretly calls these men because here's the thing. Fear will lead you to deceptive actions against the purposes of God. Fear will do that. It will always lead you to act deceptively against the purposes of God. God's got a plan and He's got a purpose for our lives. But when we are living in fear and when we're running from God and we're against Him, look, we'll get deceptive. We'll try to, we'll try to fool everybody else around us, our family, our friends, our church, whoever, in order to get things the way we want them to go. And so Herod made it seem that he wanted to know the Christ. In verse 8, he says, listen, go and find him. Because if you can find him, I'll come worship him with you. Now, there's something just a little bit sneaky about this. If that was his intent, why did he have to tell them this in secret? See, well, oh, something's not right. Something's fishy here. Something's just a little bit funny. Something smells like cod that's been laid out for three or four days. You know, somebody left the catfish out for a while. It's starting to smell, you know that they could tell something's not right. So when you've got yourself set on having your way, you'll be willing to deceive those you need to. But in the end, here's the thing. You're really only fooling yourself. And Herod was only fooling himself into believing that he could, he could manipulate the situation that way. But there's one last thing then that Herod did. Thankfully, the wise men listened to the Lord, right? Remember verse 12? When the Lord spoke to them in the vision, said, don't go back to Herod. All right, so they were men of faith. They listened to the Lord. They didn't go back to Herod. But if you keep reading in the story and you get over to verse 16, when Herod found out, now I'm sure time passed. You know, a couple of days went by. And I can see Herod sitting around the throne room tapping that foot. Where are those wise men? Where are those wise men? You know, he's getting aggravated, boy. They should have been back by now. Boys, have y'all seen the wise men? No, sir, we hadn't seen him yet. Ride out to Bethlehem and find out. That's only two miles away. Go find out. Where are they? They're taking too much time. We should have heard from them. And when he finds out that they left and went another way, he is furious. He's beside himself. And he passes an edict and an order to murder every child. And he thought back to the time frame that the, the men had given him about seeing the star. And he determined every child who's under a certain age, just kill them all. Kill them all. So this horrific scene takes place in Bethlehem. And we talked about it last week. Jeremiah's prophecy comes true. 
There's weeping in Ramah. There's weeping in Bethlehem over the loss of all these children. So one last thing we learn is this, that fear drives you to destructive deviations against the people of God. That if you're living a life of fear and anxiety and worry, at some point it will grip you and get you to the point where you cannot function and you'll be willing to do anything you can to control and manipulate your situation, even if it means stepping on people or even ending people's careers, futures, or lives in order to do it. So this is going to the extreme, but this is where he was headed. It was a train wreck waiting to happen, and it finally did. Herod was willing to exercise immoral actions in order to achieve his purposes and plans. Listen to that. He was willing to exercise immoral actions in order to achieve his purposes and his plans rather than God's. So you can see two totally different ways of approaching life right here. Those people who were truly wise men were those who lived by faith. They trusted the Lord. But a man who was controlled by the devil, who was run ragged by fear and doubt, succumbed to it. And the Bible tells us simply this. Notice, if you would, verse 19. Now, when Herod was what? What does it say? Now, when Herod was what? Dead. Do you know this? The wages for your sin is death. It's death. The payment for our sin is death. Death is the separation of your spirit and soul from your body. Your body goes into the ground. But your spirit and soul live on. You say, well, what? Where? Well, I'm glad you asked. There's only two places. There's a place called heaven reserved for God and His people. And there's a place called hell where God doesn't want anyone to go, but people willingly choose to go when, like Herod, they reject their Creator. They reject their Savior. And they reject all that God has done to ensure them eternal life with Him. And so, listen today, please be a person of wisdom. Walk by faith. Put your faith and trust in Jesus, in the Christ, in what He did to pay the penalty for your sin. The good news in that, when it says the wages for our sin is death, is this. But the gift, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. So today I pray that if you've never put your faith and trust in Christ, you'll do that very thing with us today. Let's go to the Lord in prayer even right now. And as we pray, I want to invite you today. There could be someone who needs to put their faith and trust in Christ. You need to start living your life for Him. And if that's you... I want to ask you to join me even right now in prayer. Let's take a moment and let's pray together. And if God has spoken to your heart in this place, and you know I need to give my life to the Lord, would you pray this prayer of faith? Would you even right where you sit pray this? Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. But Jesus, I want you to save me. Lord, please forgive me for my sin. Would you come into my life and would you change me? Listen, if you'd pray that prayer, you'd mean that with all your heart. He'll do that very thing even right now. He'll begin that process today of making you into a whole new person who walks by faith and doesn't live consumed with fear. Father, if there's someone today who's prayed that simple prayer of faith, who's put their trust in you, God, would you confirm that for them today through the sending of your spirit into their heart and mind? That God, you'd show them that you've got a great plan for their life. But they need to trust you and walk by faith, not live in fear. 
So, Lord, today help us all to live that way, to live as people of faith who are going to follow your lead, who don't, who don't try to deceive or distract or anything else, but we, we're just going to follow you, Lord. So help us to walk by faith. In just a moment, we're going to have a moment of invitation. And I want to invite you in this way. And in a moment, we'll stand. We'll sing a song. As we stand and sing, there could be someone who prayed that prayer of faith a moment ago. And you're ready to follow Jesus. You're ready to live a life of faith. But you don't know where to start. Well, here's where we can start. If, as we stand and sing, I want to invite you to come and take me by the hand. Or Brother Jay will be here. We want to pray with you. We want to help you begin to walk by faith. We don't want you to try to do this on your own. You need a family. And so we want you to be a part of this church family. So, so talk with us. Let's talk with you about how we can follow Christ. There may be others that want to come and spend some time at the prayer at the altar. You, you can do that as well. Or we'll pray with you if you need to pray with you. But however God's leading you this morning, you respond to Him. Father, right now help us. In Christ's name we ask. Amen.